for the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. There's not, well, there's not really a lot to say. What do you mean by that? Well, we've turned, Hello. We've turned the mic on out of desperation. We've been planning this episode <laughs> for longer than most. What do you mean planning? Well, you know, putting the pieces in place, mm -hmm. like the Riddler. Right. Now, the thing about the Riddler is that he loved to set a kind of game. He loved to plan in advance. <clears throat> and you never get to see the planning phases. You no. only get to see the riddles in action. And like him, what's his name? It's something like John John P. Uzzle or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's Edward Nigma. Oh, yeah. That's barely better than whatever Sounds I quite said. offensive. Edward Nigma, yeah, I guess it does. <laughs> P. Uzzle. Jonathan P. Uzzle. <laughs> <laughs> like Mr. E. Nigma before us, yeah. we have been laying the trap that is episode 128, welcome back to it, for quite some time. Are we, you're sure about that? Episode 128, you want to put this in the regular... It might the be 127.5. You want to put it in the regular canon. <laughs> we might be giving it the old man the in old, 308. The old, <laughs> old 0.5, everyone can Relegation. ignore this code. Um what is it uh the riddler from the comics this or is this no, the riddler I, from the batman game I only know him from where the games where his, his riddles. riddles are actually just a big course you have to drive in your car oh it was just like he's left some question marks around they're very rarely like <laughs> he left cerebral. Some, some question marks around and just did a kidnapping and you're like well okay thanks. the riddle here is how do you get away with this name <laughs> yeah they were not very like challenging intellectually for the Batman. My first is in Uzzle, but not in Canoe. It's a shame because he's the world's greatest detective. Batman, that is. Yeah. Very rarely... Not Jonathan P. In... Uzzle. No. He's top five, though. Thank you for checking. Very rarely involved in anything that would constitute actual detective work. No. You can't see him in kind of Regency Poirot era. No. Um, <laughs> Just turning up in a parlour. Where you can? Where is it? Where's the night? I want to speak to the gardener. <laughs> I want to know where he was on the night of the 24th. Ooh, I see. New in this town, are we? I still haven't seen the John Malkovich's Poirot. I saw the first episode. Did it you? It was very oh, odd. Yeah, I didn't want was, to see the rest. You said it was dark and sexy. Yeah, it was very full of sex. From very. Poirot? Uh, no, not yet. But to you got Poirot? That, you got that towards... <laughs> Um, yeah, you got that feeling. The guy who played Gibbs in Pirates of the Caribbean was in it for no, one minute. Gibbsy. Yeah. Wow, I wondered what Rupert happened Rupert Grint is in it. Ronald Weasel. In a very... Uh, it's always very jarring when he's in things. I think somehow like Thunderpants. it's... Somehow it's the least jarring. Of the three, of really? Of the three, yeah. Well, because, really? well, because Daniel Radcliffe, bless him... Like he was, he was the Harry Potter. Yeah. So you can't escape that no matter what you do. Uh -huh. And he's done some really weird shit since in order to try. Yeah, but he used to fuck a horse on stage yeah. every day of the week. And then he was the devil a bit. That was good, that film. And then he was in, he was a corpse or a he had a corpse. corpse. Yeah. So Swiss Army corpse, it was yeah. called, or something like that. So Swiss Army man, I think. Yeah, much of a muchness. <laughs> so I, I think... You know, he's he's really thought, in order to escape this, I've got to go full weird. Mm. But then he was also in Now You See Me Too playing a not-magician. <laughs> oh, so whoops. then you're like, oh. That's like when Elijah Wood turned up yeah. in Spy Kids 3D. You know, Emma Watson. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah, very talented 
uh, Instagram presence yep. where she publicizes <laughs> other people's books and political work. Um, and her own, actually, to be fair. Yeah. Um, but good activist. Not an actor. Not one that you'd go to immediately. Pay to see. <laughs> um, <laughs> she was all right in uh, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, but maybe that's because the film's quite bad. Very poor. So just that break, break she brought, brought it up. But break also, she's, she is. <laughs> she's just herself like there's no 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 no, no she, acting sorry no she was doing an american accent for a good 40 percent of the circle <laughs> and that wasn't she did it for the first 40 percent and then stopped it was 40 percent of each word yeah. and the way they kind of captured that it's always a difficult job and it was only recently that i'd really learned that trailers are put, like cut together by completely separate entities yeah. to the studio which i still think is a weird yeah very separation odd. Because it's such an important marketing piece. But the way that the Netflix team had cut together the trailer for The Circle was that in the a minute, 20 second runtime, for a minute and 16 seconds, she's like, hey, the name's Emma Watson. I'm here to fuck up Facebook or whatever the plot was, which basically that yeah. was the plot. And then at the end, there was a guy who was like, it was pretty cool film. And I think we talked about I it think before. I remember saying this, yeah. He's interviewing her and he's like, uh, Lennon or McCartney and she's like Lennon and then they ask a bunch of questions like that like Microsoft or Apple things like that like very yeah. very clever very insightful personality well yeah exactly good script writing Ma as well. well yeah of course and the last one is just something like um, it's either a number it's something a really asinine question and she just answers in the flattest like most heightened RP English accent <laughs> 14 <laughs> my lord and then the trailer like cuts out and you're like wow this circle does all sorts of things she's all over the place in it one minute she's top left crazy. next minute she's york it's very very good very odd not so, a yeah, good film though so i think it's that he's the least jarring because he was sort of he just seems to be the most normal i think yeah and the character of ron is you know not a hop step and a jump from just a normal just person being just someone trundling around yeah, magic exactly. town well and i think interestingly that's because he was out of the three the only one who actually just was a wizard. So to him, everything he was, was just dull. He was just like, it was just like going to school. Yeah. For him. Like, yeah. It was, it was barely even magical. Mm. <laughs> the only, the only difference for him was he had to learn history. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he's in it and he was all right. He's like playing a sort of menacing figure. Is the, can he do menacing? Because I saw he had a mustache. And that yeah, was, that was that set my teeth that, on that. Edge. Detracted. That was menacing in a in a sort of meta, way. a kind of psychosexual way. Yeah, mm. um, Malkovich was playing Poirot. He is playing sort of Poirot after he's he's like past it a bit, uh -huh. and no one really likes him anymore. That seems to be like the start of every other Poirot. Yeah, <laughs> even the first. You've got to wonder the where the golden Poirot, age was yeah. for Hercule. There's a bit in it. I don't know if this is in the books because I haven't read very many of them. But um, where it turns out that after, for some reason, he was no longer allowed to solve crimes or, or just stop. <laughs> By who? Well, I don't know. The criminals all got that together he, and said, "This yeah, is not no, fair." Mate. Come on, mate. Come on, give us a year. Um, was that uh, he just used to do? parlor games like your murder mystery night <laughs> really so, yeah that he would like just go and do a fake murder That's mystery hilarious. at someone's house but which is the ultimate like insult to Poirot. So shit. Yeah, I'm I know. sure that's not in the book. So yeah, that was one of the things that was implied that he'd just go to rich people's houses and pretend to solve a crime that hadn't actually happened. That's so sad. Yeah. Um he's got a bit of a Silas from mm. the Da Vinci Code thing going on. Nice. Um 
and he otherwise just seems to be playing him as slightly mentally disabled. <laughs> Malkovich often brings that quality to performances. <laughs> yeah. it's even weird, when, even it? when playing himself. <laughs> yeah, especially someone yeah. said that's so, odd. And his was, accent was it was very was. odd. I, like as ever, all of the replies to any tweets about it on on Twitter were divided between people saying this was really good like i quite enjoyed it it's very mm. different like and other people going no um, no he's an old doddery man hashtag not my poire yeah literally i think saw that tweeted <laughs> you know it, it uh, and and some quite venomously phrased ones as well like, wow. like i remember her name the woman who adapts them every year yeah yeah, yeah. that's that would be because she said that it was supposed to draw brexit parallels yeah and it, everyone was like, it, how dare you? I mean, it sort of did, but I mean, not in the episode I saw. I mean, it was episode one. Mm. So maybe that comes later. I would hope so. Maybe the last episode is just called, and then Poirot solved Brexit. The, the the last episode is just about migrants crossing the channel in a big dinghy. And Poirot's, Captain Hastings is trying to fight yeah. them all. I say, Poirot, by Jove! Poirot's like, let them in. <laughs> in a weird accent that, that uh, Malkovich was doing. That was his Johnny English. There was a very, yeah, there was a very weird um, plot again that I don't know if it's from the books where he was dyeing his beard Mm. because it had gone white. Interesting. So he was dyeing it black. And then whenever he was in a meeting, he kept embarrassing himself because it kept melting. Oh, come on. What have they turned him into? (laughs) Honestly, honestly, he was the biggest loser. That's sad, I think, to see Poirot past Well, then, every now and then he'd do a bit of crime solving. Yeah, was it good? The little grey cells? Yeah, nice. Yeah, he was... was, But then, you know, after that, he'd just sort of, like, trip and everyone would go, Classic (laughs) Hercule. Drop a tray in the the canteen. Herky, herky, pirate. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, I'd, I would like to see the rest of it. Okay, well, we'll watch the it. The we'll ABC Murders, wasn't it? Yeah, it's a good story, the ABC Murders. It's quite horrid. Yeah, it was It, well, it was very horrible. Mm. Yeah, she's mad, isn't it she? It seemed to be a little bit of uh, slut-shaming going on, though. Really? from Because Poirot had been sleeping around? No, because one of the women who got murdered yeah. was just the most stereotypical hoe oh, really? <laughs> I've ever seen on the BBC. Wow. Have she you written into points? <laughs> yeah. I've, They're not I've even going anymore. But, no, in that she was, she, her sister was like fat and ugly. Right. And she was slim and hot. And it, her, she's introduced by climbing into the bedroom, like up the, <laughs> what do you call it? Stairs? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, the trellis? outside oh, right. okay um and like after being on the town drinking dancing with men wow, she, she was like cool. throwing off a proposal she was like trying to fuck everyone yeah um the, when she met like the killer yeah he was he was like posing as a stocking salesman like as in women's stockings uh-huh. not christmas uh, and Do those two trades not overlap at I'm all? Afraid, that seems I'm like afraid not. the ultimate seasonal <laughs> coup for the stocking industry. It's actually where they make all their money. The mm. rest of the year is a loss. A loss leader. Um, and she was like, oh, he was, she was like, oh, can I see? And he was like, yeah, here, have a look at this pair. So she put them on. Yeah. And then he was like, well, no refunds. He was like, you have to pay for them. And she went, I don't pay for anything. Like, wow. just look at my legs in these. I'm way too hot for you. This is the closest you'll ever get to touching me, you virgin. And then wow. walked away. She was still serving him breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, that was her whole character, was just doing that and then, like, going off and trying to fuck someone That's else. That's a big mood for 2019, that Yeah, character. exactly. But I, I was just like, is this, is this, like, 
anti <laughs> anti sexuality from the BBC. As, no, because I think the comeuppance is ultimately the murderers. So the but, slut shame, right? But she did then get murdered by him a minute later. Yeah, and then he in turn is going to get fucked up by old Melty Malkovich. Oh right, because he he thought she was hot and he wants to save her and fuck her ghost in heaven. No, no, Poirot doesn't right? care about things like that. Poirot he, he only, only to, fell in love with one woman. He must the Virgin Mary, <laughs> and that was According the Mother Teresa. <laughs> <laughs> no, he fell in love in an episode, a, a book. I mean. <laughs> One of those we used episodes. to call we now call them episodes. We used to call them books. And um, there's a whole like convoluted plot around this woman. I think she's a crimer. She's one of those oh, she's a that crim- does a crime criminal. And he doesn't think she's done the crime because he's letting love cloud his judgment. Yeah, and then she gives him a box of chocolates that is also a badge, and then it's all fine. What do you mean? Yeah, no, don't worry. <laughs> fucking huge badge <laughs> on his chest of like milk tray yeah. that's why the lady loves it's one of those tray. roses tins that you get at Christmas with the it world's biggest Hershey's drawing bin kiss. it was beautiful so yeah that's the Poirot catch up for the year yeah just I'm in case you missed it all. <laughs> pretty topical and seasonal what do you think the BBC you know them doing a Poirot mm. or a, just an Agatha Christie every year it's getting a bit old hat Stop that, you know. It's no, not. like obviously they'll keep doing it, but what what could they change to? What should they start adapting? Well, I know I think they should carry on with Poirot, but he needs to enter. He needs to be solving cybercrime. <laughs> <laughs> Poirot takes down the Internet Defence League. Poirot, like someone just getting it, getting him in to see who who is Thought Monster. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good, I think, to see Poirot because it would be like, wow, the old and the new. And when those intersect, you know you're in for a box office success. And That's why Bumblebee's doing so. Who, like, let's make a, a list then of, of people who could play the modern Poirot. Well, I'm going to be top of it. That's for sure. Okay. I've got, you know, I've got the European ambiguity. Assuming, you know, assuming that you, you just... Oh, you no, were, I was going to take the you were on the job. No, you were on the tube when they called and you just, you uh, just missed Well, they'd have waited. They probably no, left a message. But they tried, but then you never check your voicemail. So they That's just... true. And, you, and, and you they just didn't email... It. No. What, why is that then? Oh, they didn't have your email. You said you were too good for email. <laughs> I do say that all the yeah. time. Yeah. It's cost <laughs> you said, me a lot call, of work. You said, it's like that urban legend. You said, call me at this time. Oh, and yeah. if I don't I'll jump up, out of the 13th yeah. floor window. <laughs> so assuming that, you know, through sheer happenstance, you happen not to get the role. Okay. Or just not be in it. You know, they have to go with their second or third choice. Um, who, who do you think could play a modern I'm, Poirot? I don't know the actor's name. Um, Perhaps you will, but he plays a young Sheldon. Uh, <laughs> so I'm thinking 10 years time, he's going to be too old for young Sheldon. All right. And too young for old Sheldon. And that is what we call <laughs> the, the twilight bracket. years <laughs> of an actor's career. Um, and that'd be interesting because then we could get Jim Parsons in to play sort of like flash forwards. To yeah, like Poirot the ghost of old. Poirot's future, mm. the ghost of tomorrow's crime. Where he becomes an extraordinarily lanky man. Lanky tall Slenderman. <laughs> yeah. A kind of bean, a walking bean. <clears throat> what about um, if we got someone like Hugh Edwards? Hugh Edwards? Yeah. The in, newsreader? Yeah, to interplay him. Okay, well, tell me what he'd bring to Well, the he's role. good at announcing things. Yeah. So when Poirot comes into the scene of the crime and he's like, oh, look at all this stuff over here. Everyone's going to listen. Yeah, mm. Hugh Edwards doing it. But I worry that too many people would listen and the murderer would instantly know what was up and be like, 
I'll just change a few things in the crime scene. Hugh Edwards is trained. He's a man who's trained to maintain unfaltering eye contact with yeah. a teleprompter. Yeah. So if he's if he's with you, he's with you in a way that a murderer is going to sneak into his peripheral vision and just Rob drag him. the body out into a well, flip him off a few times, and I'll be all him. right. Okay, I see what you're saying. Um, he's he's fourth choice, maybe. Yeah. We need to go more outside the box, certainly. And it's for that reason that I'm leaning towards a kind of Pam Ferris type. Right. She recently portrayed Queen Victoria in the Holmes and Watson film that I hear is just the worst film apparently ever. Yeah, apparently it's very, very bad. Even though it seems to have a very, very good cast. Yeah, because they just stole a bunch of people who are available. Yeah. Presumably because Coogan's in it, Steve Coogan. But that must just be because they were doing Stan and Ollie around yeah. the same time, which conversely is supposed to be very good. Pam Ferris, though, Miss Trunchbull herself, how she's involved in the project now, is bemusing. What do you think would be more controversial, a female Poirot uh-huh. or a male Miss Trunchbull? No, well, that we've already done that one. Oh, yeah, so. Matilda the show. Or a, or a black... A black Poirot. A black Poirot. Um, I think, well, it depends who you're trying to controvert. Because if it were just like the general British public, then obviously the answer is a black Poirot because they're a bunch of racists. Well, they are. <laughs> but they do also hate women, the yeah, British public. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm thinking. I think the hate for minorities generally surpasses the hate for women in casting. Okay, let me throw you a curveball. What about a trans Poirot? Well, I think people would not know what to do with themselves. <laughs> I think they'd have to bring back points of view as like a, <coughs> like it's a BBC, point of view special twenty four hour drag channel. Dimbleby's corpse back onto <laughs> question time just to deal with the uproar. Yeah, I don't think it would go down well. I honestly think there would be a riot. Mm. It wouldn't be anywhere in particular. It would just be everywhere a bit low-key. We should just reflect for a moment now that we're like several months into the timeline where Jodie Whittaker is Doctor Who about how little difference it's made to anyone who thought that their world would be totally ruined Mm. by it. It's interesting. It's weird that anyone ever... Like that, if you could capture whatever it is that triggers that spark of initial outrage and bottle that energy and funnel it towards something productive, it would be like a limitless source of yeah. power because there's sheer like vitriol that that day, that week. I've often thought this about, um, I don't know, it's a certain, not just type of person, but type of mode and reaction mm. that is specific to uh, causes that aren't good, which is what, like, is a big problem. <clears throat> like, I've often thought about my, I thought this about my dad Mm -hmm. because he's not someone that you want to argue with, even when you know that he's wrong. Something I always thought he'd be a fantastic ally (laughs) if (laughs) if only he were doing it for good. But like, even someone like Piers Morgan, yeah, you think if if he believed good things, (laughs) then it would be it'd be inordinately useful. But part of the reason that he is who he is is that. He doesn't think any good things. You have to be fueled on that constant cycle of outrage. That means you probably are fundamentally wrong about something. Yeah, at least one thing. At least one thing, even if that is vegan sausage. Mm. sausage have you managed wrong. to get your hands on one? No, yet? they're sold out everywhere. 
That was a good idea. They've got a big back order on, on the go. That was a good business strat. Yeah, they only made one. <laughs> Turns out. <laughs> and fed it to Piers Morgan. Piers, yeah. <clears throat> while his throat was otherwise engaged. They they made him eat it. They make you eat it. Do they? Yeah. Is that part of the vegan agenda? They make you eat it. That's interesting. I can see why... Uh, like the meat folk, as I like to call them, that would upset them. It does. We don't like. We don't like because you don't want to have a vegetable shoved anywhere I don't want to have unexpectedly. That no, well, full stop. <laughs> <laughs> Why bother with? There's that? no need to, to prolong that sentence. What about if Poirot was brought back as a musical? But here's the thing: it's disco, and it's like Poirot is at the centre of the disco movement. Like he's friends with the Bee Gees. He's hanging out. He's living in LA, maybe. I'm, I was thinking even more controversial. It's like OG Poirot. Right. It's set as in the books, but it's still a disco musical. Like just oh, out okay. of nowhere, mm. like the shining ball comes down, the lights go up. And it's Poirot, do, when we're casting, when I'm putting the call out, Yeah, is he a, a dancer naturally, or is he like a very rigid and awkward figure uh, to contrast with the disco well, well, this is it, is that... He's only a dancer when he's dancing. Right. Other, otherwise, swap him he's off. a very clumsy... No, no, it's the same actor, but they've got to have the range. That's a big range to ask for. Natural dancer and total mannequin. Yeah, I want them to move like sort of, you know, Brendan Gleeson when he's struggling back up the staircase in Bruges. Oh, yeah, I remember that. I want, I want them to move like that. But then suddenly they're Michael Flatley, like as mm. soon as the as the music comes on. That'd be good, I suppose. And how would he is that gonna be like the music obviously will have to serve some function that relates to the narrative. Are you thinking it's whenever there's a particular flash of ingenuity on the part of Poirot that he'd start a song? Uh I don't think he'd necessarily start a song, but his motif comes in underneath. Uh-huh. Which is a lot harder when it's disco than just like generic, <laughs> because because like it can't, it's hard, it's very easy to have just a little nice bit of piano yeah. or a couple of strings in the background to a scene. But when you go, while he's like, I think I know. It is the butler. What did he see? He'd have to have a sort of refrain, wouldn't he? Like his own little song. That kind of repeats and develops. Did you ever used to watch Poirot or similar mystery f- programming as a youth, as a child? Um, I'm talking prepubescent. Not, not lots. No, I was exposed to. Yeah, I assumed <laughs> a great deal of tragedy <laughs> in the form of television. My like whole, well, I guess actually just mostly my grandma is like diehard. The worse the murder, the more she's going to watch it sort of vibe and one time i don't have a lot i've blocked out so much of the surroundings to what happened in this memory so i don't really know where i was but it wasn't anyone's house that i've ever been to again can i just say yeah i just want to interrupt okay right? go on. given that we're we're in a, a new age of the friendship yeah it's about Are we? yeah it's about like total upfront new year, honesty new us. yeah okay go on. about talking to one another about our issues and our problems. And that's it's a later be a short episode. conversation for me. Uh, <laughs> Very short. But what I, all I want to say is that, you know, <laughs> you'd like to think of yourself as super sane. Well, I don't you, like to. Have you said Sometimes a label is thrust upon you. Um, it's like being From your own king. mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um, but whenever you talk about, any of your life that happened before the age of 16, <laughs> it's always in a very cinematically 
dark way. <laughs> like the whole room becomes shadow, mm. but for a light on your face, there's it's always some sort of trauma or some sort of emotional labor you've had to go through. And I'm just wondering if you think it explains anything How at all I'm about such a yourself. Happy go lucky, <laughs> upbeat, whimsical, chap, normal yeah. person, yeah, well adjusted. Yeah. Well, as people, I can't stop people saying, people message me every day just, just to remind Just remind me. Isaac that he's really knocking out of the park with the whole adjustment thing. Yeah, um, I just wanted to say that. And well, just, that's just, just, to, just to plant the seed of something to think about. It's the seed of doubt that you're planting and I shan't be sowing it for I'm not a reaper of dismay. I've already planted it, but you won't sow. <laughs> okay. Anyway, you don't remember where you were. It was in a, a stranger's house. I have you a feeling kidnapped it was and forced uh, like a to B&B watch. or something. It was a very dingy room. Uh-huh. I would say the size of a table twice. If that gives you... Picture just a table from your okay. life. Now there are two of them. Right. Don't go picturing a giant table just to trick me. Okay. Or a tiny table I'm- for a mouse. <laughs> because I will not... Stand I'm thinking of this ovular table. No, no, I'm talking like a di- a dinner table. Sort like of our thing. table. Yeah, like two of them. It's about that big. And I was there with, I think. That's good content for anyone who's been in our living room. <laughs> well, no, but that's what I'm saying. Like the platonic form of a table. Okay. If you were like playing The Sims and you got the standard table, okay. times it by two, and we're both in the same room right now. Um, I don't know why we were there. I don't really remember who else was there. Well, you were the victim of a crime, clearly. Uh, you were being held <laughs> hostage. It was a six-month period that I don't remember much of. No, it was only a night, I think, which is why I'm confused as to where it was. I have to ask my mum for more details. Anyway, there was some sort of crime. Her eyes glaze over. She oh, asked God. you never to ask again. <laughs> um there was a crime program. I think it was Jonathan Creek, which is traditionally very bad <laughs> on TV. Not very scary. No, it was, it was Jonathan Creek. For those who don't know, is an. I don't think they make it anymore, or they've no. brought it back for Christmas. A few yeah, times. it's Alan, Alan Davis, Davis of QI. Yeah, he's the curly haired sort of. I, I've never warmed to asshole. him, and it might be because Apparently of this. He's an asshole, is yeah, he really? Yeah. Is that insider knowledge? Yeah, you know um, our friend. Maya. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to use a name. <laughs> Subtle. She, when she was working at that um, private nursery school oh, yeah. in wherever she was living. He goes to nursery. <laughs> yeah. Stupid Still. idiot man. <laughs> when they call him the idiot one on QI, <laughs> they weren't taking the piss. That was just ableism. <laughs> so he's got a little kid there. Yeah, and apparently he's an arsehole. I've always... Alan David's not the kid. Yeah, well, both I expect. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Um, anyway, he was on TV, as I remember. And all that I remember of this is the snapshot of a woman called Zola, which, let me tell you, has put me off football Zola, Gianfranco Zola. He's lovely, though. I'm terrified of him. (laughs) Like I have a visceral reaction to his name. There was a tall woman called Zola. I think she was Russian. I think she was in disguise. And she's... As a tall woman, or...? And all that happens is... She all that three, I have, she was three small women in a coat. <laughs> all that I have memorized is someone opens a cupboard and out <laughs> falls big dead Zola just on them. Oh no! And I, I was terrified of cupboards, women, <laughs> Russia, women. height, ever Coast since magic. And then it turns out I, I watched, rewatched the episode years later. I found it somehow. Yeah. Or it might have just been on. And I found out that the way she dies, like, I think her death is probably like the first thing that sets up the episode. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, how did she get into this cupboard that no one 
had opened in like a random place. And the answer to the riddle is that she was just walking along. It's actually more horrific than if she'd been murdered in many ways. <laughs> She's walking along and a brick just falls out of the sky and hits her on the head and causes some sort of slow brain bleed. That means that when she gets in the cupboard, she dies. What do you mean when she gets? Don't <laughs> Look, that, I don't remember. That, that, that itself detail. is surely still a symptom of the brain bleed. No. Don't be like, you know, every day you wake up, you brush your teeth, you walk down you the step, street, you clamber into the old full body cupboard. No, I and think you just stay there to die. There's probably another element where, like, she dies somewhere and then someone moves her to a cupboard just to get the clutter off the carpet. Right. But anyway. Very scary. I remember... It uh, scarred me. Whenever I um, was younger, and I, I used to stay over at my nan's a lot, both when she lived in Hornchurch, which was like a little drive away from us, and then when she moved to closer to Hockley, like uh-huh. where I lived in Essex, um, that there was always like something that would go on that would scare me. That when she lived in <laughs> Hornchurch, she was she lived very close to the church and I used to get very, very frightened by the church bells and I still hate church bells. Mm. For different reasons, I think they're just very boring. What about nice ones, though? No, I don't like them still. What about Quasimodo's ones? Yeah, his are fine, but he's only got like two that's he's... going bing bong. Yeah, I guess. Um, but yeah, I, I used to find them really frightening mm. and they would go like every hour or something. I'll do that. And, um, and then like every now and then there'd be a service or something. But it properly frightened me. I really, really hated them. Um, and I used to kind of like get up and like look around because I was sure that it was, you know, heralding the arrival of something terrible. But then in a kind of similar vein to your story of Zola, I do remember staying when she was living in the bungalow. Um, and I would stay in her room and she'd sleep in the living room, which was very nice. Yeah, it is nice. Um, so I was in this great big double bed. But there was, well, yeah. <laughs> But there was sort of like the the door out into the main uh, sort of foyer and then that went off into the living room. And I remember she was watching an episode of Casualty. Oh, no. And I couldn't see any of it. So I could only hear it. And I think it was a particularly traumatic one. You know, every kind of medical show has to have an episode that's on site at a disaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think this was some sort of horrific car crash where they're having to cut someone out of a car and whatnot. And so... All I could hear for this for like half an hour is just sirens and screaming and like people pleading and so I'm like no don't shoot him don't like pull me out of my car <laughs> my leg's I, still in there and I was I was terrified I was sort of cartoonishly <laughs> afraid like with the covers pulled up <laughs> to my eyes kind of like oh god what's this did you not go out and ask her to turn it the hell off I was too terrified to go anywhere near it did you think there might be a car crash under your bed if you got out just waiting for me <laughs> 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 I'd be found tire marks over the, my tiny dead face one of the face. most confusing deaths <laughs> you get Jonathan creaking yeah <laughs> finds a cupboard full of Zolas turns out all these bricks fell off him it's bad, isn't it? Why do old people love horrible shit like that? I don't know. I, like, because when you were asking if I'd watched sort of crime stuff when I was younger, it, until you specified prepubescent, like, the answer would have, was obviously going to be yeah, because I used to go around to my nan's, like, twice a week, and we would record everything, like, every, all the different strands of CSI. Midsummer Murders? No, no, no. Not the really boring ones. Oh, uh, Criminal Minds. Used to love oh, a bit of Criminal Minds and whatnot. Yeah. Like we used to just, and we would just binge and just watch all of them. Bit of NCIS, bit of Numbers. God, we loved Numbers. Like, but on just crime show after crime show after Why crime show. Because old people hate crime. Yeah, but that, 
it reinforces their idea that the world is terrifying uh, yeah, and dangerous. So. And also because when you're old, you're nearly going to commit the ultimate crime, which is dying. To die yourself. Yeah, which God hates. <laughs> For which you will not forgive anyone in your life. And you will never be forgiven. Um, I think as well, it's because they always have a strong, emotionally closed off male character who's a, who's a very safe pair of arms in which to be held and who's always very nice to old people. And do old people like to be held? Yeah, they, they like to know that there are these sort of Gary Sinise-like figures there in the world. Mm, I guess so. And um, I think it reassures them to know that he's out there. Yeah, maybe. Because I remember reading an interview with David Caruso, who plays the very, very, very insufferable Horatio Kane, is it? Wow, naturalistic in, naming in there, In CSI guys. Miami. Um, who's famous for the meme of like putting on, oh, yeah. taking off the sunglasses um, and doing a very terrible pun before the, yeah, nice. of the, the, oh the my intro. God. Yeah. Of the who, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, I remember reading an, an, an interview with him when a, like the final series was premiering about how women just come up to him in the street and hug him because oh. they're like, oh, you're like Horatio Kane, like it makes me feel We're safe. Very like him. Yeah. <laughs> we share a body and a mouth. <laughs> and a mind. I do, do you, like, how many of the actors who play these really long running roles, mm. at what point do they believe they are that person? After how many series? <laughs> Two minutes. I don't know, it depends on the actor, I suppose. Depends on how seriously they take themselves. Mm. I think there are some people who have a tendency to like latch on to to any external identity that they can be offered. So someone like, I think Alan Davis probably does think he's Jonathan Creek. I mean, he doesn't think he is, but he probably thinks he shares a lot of the same, like, yeah. I'm a pretty insightful guy. I'd probably have found Zola in that cupboard in five minutes. Yeah. Whereas I don't think David Suchet thinks he's Poirot very much. No. Because he's a bit more like thespian about it. Yeah. Although sometimes they're the worst for it. Maybe. Daniel Day-Lewis. God, he thinks he's everyone, doesn't he? I, I lost huge amounts of respect for Daniel Day-Lewis reading all of the cunty things he does in the name of acting. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's very good. He is very good. But then when you find out that everyone on the set of Lincoln had to call him Mr. President, <laughs> that's just, that didn't help him act in any way. No, no, you There's no understand. way. It's very helpful. He used to, like, force people to carry him around the set of My Left Foot. Yeah, and yeah you're like, I remember that. That's just being a dick. <laughs> <laughs> was the character in My Left Foot a dick? Because that's the only <laughs> way it could have helped. Was it 24-7 idiot. being an arsehole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. For the Phantom Thread, he went and started, like, learning how to make dresses and things. Yeah. And and also, but that's all right. Like, I don't mind him doing that if he wants, if he thinks that would made help. other people wear them and they were probably very bad. Oh, yeah. That's, so see, that's where, that's where the, there's got to be a line. Mm. It's, it's still got to be acting. He made everyone call him Mr. Phantom Thread on set as well. <laughs> it's like that uh, famous, what is it? It's Olivier, isn't it? Yeah. Talking to Dustin Hoffman, where he's like, oh, he's supposed to be doing a scene where he'd been up for, like, 50 hours or something. Yeah. And so he tried staying awake and was like, oh, I can't do it. And he was like, well, have you tried acting it? <laughs> you tried acting, darling. Uh, yeah, that would be good. I don't like Olivier, but that's... I mean, he's, got, he's, he's got a point. <laughs> he's got a good statue, though, on the South Bank, hasn't he? Uh, he's got a nice statue. He's only about three foot. Yeah, I was going to say... It was, was he a very diminutive a man? I don't know. <laughs> it's a cast of his it's body. It's weird because it's too big to be, like, 
a tiny version. Yeah. But too small to be how big he actually was. Yeah, it's very odd. It's looking. like the young Sheldon, old Sheldon. Oh, no. Flat bang in the it's middle. It's in the twilight shell. Yeah, absolutely it is. So there we go. That's our assorted thoughts on crime shows, on Poirot, on The Riddler as well. Mm. Um, that ended up being a theme, didn't they? Yeah. God, themes will emerge. And that's totally the great right. thing. To anyone out there who's trying to create some great art in this, the year of our Lord 2019, don't go worrying about what, you know, the mermaid <laughs> signifies, what the volcano means. All of that stuff will just come out in mm. in hindsight when you reread the book that you were going to write. Yeah, you, Bob, the author. You'll find that there are all kinds of symbolism moments that emerge just organically, as organically as a pineapple out of the earth. If someone in our listenership is writing a book... And I'm not in it. I will no. flip <laughs> the fuck out. Well, you having said that, I feel what your answer to the question might be. Uh, but uh, if they are writing a book, uh-huh. if they're out there, what's your one big thing that they must not do? And it, not I cannot, do. it cannot be fail to include you. Ah, <laughs> uh, fuck. You've got me there. Um, fail to not, not include. <laughs> the one thing they must not do is uh, use more than i'm going to be generous and say two instances of a descriptive word before said any anything that modifies said or or i'm gonna say maximum two uses per hundred pages of any word other than said or asked or no word there at all because people can derive context i've got one more as well okay um Come up with a really good title for your book that you're writing, Bob, the author. Who It's great that you listen, by the way. Yeah, thanks. thanks a lot. Um, shame you don't get in touch more, but mm. I'm assuming you're probably busy with rewrites. Um, have a good title, by all means. And you, it's going to be thematically relevant to the overall piece. And probably the characters are going to say it at some point, or it will be used. Because mm. often that will be you write like... Oh, it was a real catch twenty two, <laughs> and that is exactly how you come up with that one. Thank you very much. Um, this is a story of mice and men. Yeah, that's another famous one. Um, what went on with Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire? Yeah. Asked McGonagall quizzically, failing to adhere to our rule there, J.K. But when you do reference the title in the text, even if you wrote the text before you chose that bit to be the title, I need you to show it to at least a thousand people to get their feedback on. Is this so annoying that I want to burn the whole book? Yeah. I, there is nothing worse than reading that. I, I thought you were going to say, and my hope was going to be that it would be come up with a great title for your book before you start writing it, write the whole book and then bin whatever your title was. Just Even if you still think it was great, I promise you, mm. I promise you, it was what if it was terrible. a very good pun though you're saying even then <laughs> i'm saying especially then <laughs> oh, okay. that they should do that i i'm gonna say that my one tip is uh is uh, like halfway through writing whatever it is uh-huh. right just just have a read of something you don't think is very good yeah and and just have a make sure that you're not doing it because <laughs> it's it's actually really really easy mm. and what i'm saying is like don't uh don't go back and edit yet 
No. Because that is the that's biggest the death of that the is the death of it. That's how you never finish anything like me. <laughs> like keep, Same. keep going to the end. But when you when you go back, do just make sure that you haven't done any of those things that you hate because it's really tempting sometimes in the name of doing something that's art mm. to do something that's very, very, very wanky, such as write your title somewhere randomly in the book with an exclamation mark after it, a character said. Yeah. Disappointingly. Um, so just make sure that you're not falling into any of the pitfalls because one, it will make your writing better. And two, it will avoid a bar- an embarrassing moment in the future when you tweet, God, hate it when an author does this and, and someone who's someone, read your book yeah. tweets you a picture of it and you have to cry and delete your Twitter. I think them. if I've finished a novel and I thought, this is a good novel I've finished and I'm going to get it published. And then I went about that. 25 year process yeah. of probable failure. I think I would like to pick a title that was so like on the scale of relevancy, so near to totally irrelevant yeah, to the book. Definitely. So primarily my motivation would be, I wonder what anyone will assume I'm like with catcher in the rye, which I only read recently. And we were talking about before mm. it's such a minimal like throwaway. It comes up twice. I think Yeah. in the whole book and it's not even, uh, like metaphor that's particularly germane to the text yeah. as a whole. So, and the whole point is that it's wrong. <laughs> and what's great about that is think how many like school students have had to write essays or in which they've grasped, they've clutched at some straws to weave together some understanding of, well, in a way he's always catching the rye of New York society. He's catching rye W R Y smiles from people. That's big. Yeah. So it'd be good to kind of force people to have to go through that hoop. And on that note... You want to do a sort of Joycey and I'm, I'm writing this so that people will keep fighting over it. Yeah, sort of I thing. think so. Yeah, all right. You got any book idea for this year? You're going to write a book? Yeah, I'm trying. Mm. But like, again, my, my biggest problem, and it is a problem, I think, mainly with writing consistently. <laughs> I can't spell for it's shit. a hell of a hoop. Um, is that because I don't write, I haven't or haven't been writing consistently uh-huh. whenever i come back to it i'm like okay i'll read what i've got so far to kind of get back into it and then instantly i'm like god i hate all this <laughs> and then i want to go back and change that or rewrite that rather than just pressing forward and coming back and doing I it have the opposite later. problem i think this might be a good point of contrast for us to consider in our okay. future which is that whenever i've written anything in the past i like it a lot more than anything i would write now so if i ever read something i wrote even back to what are traditionally like the very cringy ages of writing stuff. Yeah. Like I've found like diary things that I wrote when I was like 14. I'm like, wow, that was like a lot nicer and truer and more sincere than anything I would come up with now. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting further oh, from further from it. Yeah. You think the older you get, well, you think you've missed your chance to grab something. No, not necessarily. I just you think, think you're just that, past it. You think 26 is it. I think like that what you're you've the got oldest to do person is, in the world is <laughs> just rediscover the, the person that you were by <clears throat> chipping away at all the porcelain around the gold Buddha statue. And I've got to rediscover the person I will be. Yeah, <laughs> good it, luck. Somewhere in the, like, 15 months between us, <laughs> there's, like, the perfect wow. artist. And we'll big. never be him. <laughs> well, there we go, guys. Um, we'll just keep churning out this shine yeah. for 50 years. <laughs> See you in the next one. 2059. Any book idea? Uh, catch her in the world. <laughs> I was 14. <laughs> Look, um, 
this has been an impromptu episode of That's a Shame. In, not in the sense that we didn't know there'd be one on a Wednesday, because that's been <laughs> the case for really <laughs> quite some time. But in the sense that we sat here for a God. good a while. This year, it's two years of doing this show. Wow. That's right. disgusting. It's got long teeth. <laughs> <Actually>, <laughs> That's not my cake. <laughs> um, I think we should wrap up by saying that, yeah, it was an experimental sorry. episode. <laughs> no, I'm not sorry. I think it's been okay. We'll see see what people think. Yeah. Um, we're going to do, at some point soon, probably in January, I don't know what the date is, mm-hmm. a show about what the show is going to be like. So we want to kind of reinvigorate, I hate to use the term, the whole thing. <laughs> I love the side on the word reinvigorate. <laughs> Imbue with some new energy and love and passion. <gasps> Revitalise. No, because we do still like doing the show. It's just what it is is kind of changing a little bit. And who's listening to it is changing a little bit, especially as we advertise it less. Yeah. <laughs> especially as we put less effort into it. But no, 2019, new year, new show. All the same bits that you like. But we're going to be, I don't know, doing some, some more bits shit. that you really dislike. <laughs> just to keep Just that to challenge you, to, you know. To channel the outrage. Exactly. Um, so yeah, look out for that. Until then, we've got some ways you can get in touch. Tass at Shamed City is one of the big ones. Send us your emails. If you're writing something, we'll have a read of it. Yeah. I'll, if you send it over to me, I'll write my own paragraph where just Isaac is like Hitchcock cameo, <laughs> just walks past the action. Handsome as you like. And then if you send it to me, I'll make sure I delete his one. Um, yeah, you could tweet at us, yeah. to us, for us. At that's a shame cast. That'd be good. At Isaac BD for Isaac at DE Delane for me. We've got reviews. We well, love them. We've got we've had re- reviews. We've had, yeah, we've had a review last month. No one we likes can. iTunes. That's True. an eternal truth. That's the name of the spin-off podcast we're going to no do. No one likes <laughs> iTunes. Everybody loves Raymond. No one likes iTunes. It should be a like a career goal to get a podcast to number one on iTunes that's called Nobody Likes iTunes. I think you'd probably just get a protest podcast. That, like, we could probably do that. Okay. The well, podcast would just be, like, get ten people of minor repute to just say, I don't like iTunes, and then that would be it. Then Rachel would be like, Riley's I don't like <laughs> iTunes. That'd be big. Um, yeah, we we understand iTunes is cumbersome and it's outdated and it's terrible. Poor. However, it does boost the show in quite a real but confusing way <laughs> when people engage with it. So subscribe on iTunes, even if you don't use it. Review us on iTunes. That would be much appreciated because if people click on our show, because let's face it, we've got one hell of a cool dog with a party oh, hat. Goodness, people yes. will be click, click, clicking away and we want them to see billions and I mean billions of reviews all of them five stars, all of them great. You can do that by clicking the link in the show notes or going to shame.city slash review or, you know, just open iTunes, search that's a shame. Can't be that much shit there, can there? Can there? Oh, really can't. I hope not. Word of mouth is best of mouth. That means tell a friend about the show. Lots of people are getting new smart speakers. You tell them, hey, smart speaker, play that's a shame podcast. It will say, I don't know how to do that yet. And then they'll go on with their lives. Never the wiser. But if it does work, then they're in for quite a treat because we've got some good Bare Necessities music. Oh, it's great. Right, it's free. So we keep claiming. The elephant in the room, covered as he is in $1, is patreon.com slash shame city. If we provided even a slither of value, 
even a scale mm. of value on the tapestry of snakeskin that makes up this workaday world, then we'd love you to repay us in kind. That doesn't have to be money, but money is one of the more but tangible also it's means. it's the only way that we accept. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, we offer bonus content that is... 100% going to be there this year. That is our, that's our that's number one our, shared resolution yeah. is we will fulfill all Every of the Patreon, Patreon goals. goals. Not including those that we've already missed. <laughs> no, <laughs> we're not going to re-fulfill. No, we're not crazy, but we are dedicated. And that dedication is hosted on patreon.com slash shame city. $1, $2, $1,000 a month. Whatever you can afford, anything would be much appreciated. It keeps the lights and indeed the heating on here at Shame Towers. Until episode the next one, I've been Isaac. You've been... I've been Declan. Keep on solving. Necessities, simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your strife. I'm in the bare necessities. Oh, Mother Nature's recipes that bring the bare necessities of life. Some honey just for me The bare necessities of life Will come to you Come to you